I'm really here to help culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm really here to help teams play nice together <laughs> and actually scale their projects without doing why, like the nine out of 10 thing. Let's be the one out of 10. And let's, and let's, let's create new value systems that are like actually in alignment with, with Earth's legacy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Otto Gomes Crypto Show. I'm your host, Otto Gomes. Today we have brother from another mother, Luke Cohen. This dude knows his crypto, let me tell you. Luke Cohen is an emerging thought leader, hardest speaker, and mentor with a, over a decade of experience empowering individuals and groups. As a recording heartist, he is an up-and-coming singer, spoken word poet, and MC covering several genres. He's also invested and knowledgeable in all things crypto. Let's get into it. I'm excited. Luke Cohen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Otto Gomes Crypto Show. My name is Otto Gomes. I am your host. Today, we have Luke Cohen. Aloka. Aloka Cohen. I, I got to ask him what that means. <laughs> um, well, I wasn't expecting to hear that name drop. So <laughs> I saw it on your Instagram and I'm like, oh, I got to ask him about that name. But we'll get into that. Um, yeah, yeah, we can go there. <laughs> Luke Cohen is an emerging thought leader, hardest speaker and mentor with over a decade of experience empowering individuals and groups. As a recording hardest, he is an up and coming singer, spoken word poet and MC covering several genres. He's also invested and knowledgeable in all things crypto. We're going to figure that out. So let's get into it. Luke Cohen, thank you, sir, for joining me. I am super grateful. Yeah, great to be here. What's up, everybody? Um, I am so happy that you joined me. I've I've done a little, I did a little bit of research on your life and a little in kind of seeing how, what led you to this point. Sure. But I want to know more. I want to go deeper and I, I like to take these opportunities to just get to know you and your journey to this point. So if you can just go back as far back as you feel is necessary and tell me your journey to this point, but specifically incorporating that red pill moment that really shook you out of the matrix. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've had several core red pill moments. You know, I, I started dabbling in psychedelics pretty young. I was like 14 when I first ate mushrooms and I was reading Castaneda books and reading mushrooms. So you know, it was definitely like my worldview was shifting fast and I feel like I pierced the veil at an early age. And then there was the acid summer that preceded uh, the original intro to that. So some, some things happened, had some peak experiences with things like outward bound, you know, I grew up in New York city. So getting those, you know, my first solo in nature, rock climbing, like I got this contrast from, from that, but what really happened for me was, uh, you know, I had this uh, healing crisis in college. So I was a martial artist. I was an athlete, very competitive, uh, pushed my body really hard. And I had lost my brother-in-law in 9-11. So that was like a big part of my initiation started with this, was this deep loss of family and sort of like a search for what the heck happened, like, you know, and in, in my, and in myself, my body actually started to break down because I was abusing substance and pushing my body really hard at the same time. Didn't know that I had a sensitive nervous system, didn't know what an empath was, didn't know I had all these psychic gifts that I had sort of shut down. And so 
you know, my body just gave out and I manifested a pretty gnarly injury to my spine. And it basically, uh, like I both burnt out and injured myself simultaneously. So I went from a 22 year old agile athlete, martial artist to basically walking with a cane almost overnight. Wow. And in that experience, obviously got really depressed because I didn't, I didn't really like substances. Like they were a coping mechanism, but I didn't actually like how I feel, but I loved how I felt from, from playing basketball. I loved how I felt running. I loved how I felt sparring and getting in the gym. And like, that was like my healthy high. So when I lost that, I just got really depressed and was like, man, and I didn't want to like cope with those other things. So I was just kind of in this existential crisis. And uh, yeah, I had this cast iron teapot that I bought for myself that like that summer for a birthday, it was like at TJ Maxx or something random. I had like a gift certificate. I was like, Whoa, this is coming home with me. I want, I want this, you know, cause I was super into like martial arts. And so like Asian cultures always spoke to me. And so, you know, one day I was just drinking tea and in that sort of acceptance of my situation. And I dropped into what I call the living stillness of the universe for the first time. And there's a spontaneous meditation that emerged and yeah, it trumped every psychedelic experience, sexual experience, peak experience that I ever had my entire life in that point. And in that timeless space of, of stillness and nothingness, I sort of woke up a memory of myself as this Taoist hermit in a cave and his eyes opened and like my soul came back to me and I could feel where my soul had been in the background of my life all the way up until that point, like all the moments, these key moments caught up. And I came out of it with this this fire in my being that the, the yogis call mamoksha, which is a burning desire for enlightenment. And I was like, this is the feeling I've been looking for my whole life. This is what I'm dedicating my life to. And just like everything started to rearrange itself after that experience. So like a few days later, I was given a copy of autobiography of a yogi and like this bit, like, like started to leave my college town to go to another college town. I had a little more culture to like try to find monks to talk to. I just didn't want to be my fraternity anymore. So I just like, yeah, made all these really powerful lifestyle changes pretty rapidly upon that feeling. And then I didn't go, I never entered a nine to five world. I graduated college and I went right to India and like never looked back. And that was 17, almost 18 years ago. <laughs> so, wow, that is yeah. such an awesome. And yeah. then, and I bet that's like, that changed your life, right? Going to. Oh yeah, that was, that was the turning point. And, yeah. and I gradually healed myself, you know, and getting into healing myself, I started to see what worked and what didn't. And began to do that work with other people. And I've, I've had a pretty wild adventure, to be honest. Like I've been all over the world. I've met some really esoteric, you know, yogis and, and you know, medicine teachers and elders and carriers of wisdom and just like apprentice, like legitimately like teach me what you know. And they would recognize me. We'd have these really serendipitous, like destiny moments of, of connection. And, you know, also like I'm a culture guy. Like I love culture. And so when I came back from some of these key journeys early on, I was living in New York City, I started a production company with the desire that that production company would lead to eco-villages. So when I first drank ayahuasca, I was down in Costa Rica after I'd been at this eco-village and I was like, wow, like this is how we're going to live in the future. This is it. Like raising babies with like other friends and like not four white wall, like four white walls and a TV, but just like jungle and like health and out in nature and in families. Like I was just blown away. I was like, this is, this is the future. And with that vision, I was shown by the medicine to create a production company. And so I, I co-founded a company called Unitribe with my buddy Srikala, who's an amazing music producer and sound healer and, you know, ex-Hari Krishna monk and hip hop head. And like, he's super in, in the space now too, like crypto and, and event production and coaching and all that stuff. So we started this wild company to start to bring all these subgroups together, subcultures. And the original intent was to actually track a tribe that we could then move to like upstate New York or get land or something. And that vision evolved over the years and the, 
the culture and the pulse of doing this kind of transformational festival scene in the thick of New York City pre-2012 is this like really exciting emergent scene. You'd forget you're in New York, you'd be super in your heart. We're doing like this kind of substance-free ecstatic dance kind of events and have like Kirtan upstairs and downstairs in the warehouse, they have all these DJs and it was just like a vibe, like burn- burners came and yogis came and like all these subcultures of New York all came to party under one roof. And so I got to really see my gift for bringing lots of different varying subgroups together. And that sort of has evolved all the way to this time of like Web3, where like you get these seemingly separate industries starting to interface for the first time. It's really freaking exciting for me, who is like a world bridger, right? So um, Ooh, a world bridger. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I just I just say I like to bridge the gaps, but a world yes. bridger, <laughs> a world bridger is good. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. I didn't know that story about you and the journey you went on. And to get to this point, I mean, that you, so you've been on this journey of decentralization for a while. Like you're saying yeah. 2012, pre 2012? Pre 2012. So my awakening happened in 2005 ish. Mm. And then I went to India, say 2007. Uh, but I was already like working with these teachers and then, you know, lived in New York, left New York 2012 after all these events, moved to California got more involved in the transformational festival scene, eventually got into entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship was a kind of a gateway into money. And I was like learning the money game. And I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a broke struggling artist. You know, I was like, a, I was in a band and I was doing like Reiki trainings and doing healing work, but I wasn't, you know, it was a lot of scarcity. And so I entered entrepreneurship and I was like, Oh wow. Like if we can all make money like this, we can just pour resources and get land together and create eco villages that way. And like, Gotcha. I don't even need an investor. Like, let's just, and I started to coach people how to make money, like other healers and things like that. And then I started to open up all these other gates and I started to bridge these worlds of like, like the indigenous communities that I know and like the gifts that they have and like systems change people and like that are in the blockchain and then people that are in transformational festival culture. Cause like transformational festivals were at, the, at their height of pre COVID and like, you know, like lightning in a bottle and it's in its, in its like glory days was like such a phenomenal experience where you could want wander into a workshop and come out with your life change you didn't even need to take a psychedelic you know it's just like you get exposed to things and like the amount of creative energy that would pour into like birth of village i was like why don't we just keep these up like why are we like doing this thing where we're spending all these resources and we birth a village and then we tear it down like let's leave them up and live this way all the time so i was like kind of on a mission to like bridge these worlds and and i did i started doing like these culture change events and entrepreneurship showed me the value of my time and energy. And so I started to like leverage these different networks and build these sort of live events and, and start to bridge into the worlds of like eventually philanthropy and conservation, because it's trying to find the gap between like indigenous wisdom cultures and like transformational festivals and entrepreneur entrepreneurship. I'm like how do these oh, wow, fit together? Yeah. yeah. How do they actually play? And it was like conservation and like these other things. So I've been bridging a ton of worlds for a while and it's my, my journey into more, Crypto Web3 decentralization sort of happened after this big culture change event that I did at one of the oldest eco villages in the States called Hummingbird in 2018 called Collective Legacy with uh, my partner, my business partner at the time, David Weber and a few others. And we brought together like leaders from Standing Rock and, you know, people like Forrest Landry and Charles Eisenstein and Barbara Marks Hubbard and Chuchesca Martini, like all these like really cool leaders from different industries to like come together and figure out how we could actually create councils and create innovative systems and like actually get into this decentralized way of like governing and doing business and like helping each other. And it was, it was a powerful experiment. It wasn't necessarily generative in the ways that I expected, but it, it forged really powerful alliances and relationships. 
I was so going to say, was, I was like, you, you guys, you, you guys made the connections. That yeah. was, that's powerful. Uh, yeah. Alone. And there's people that got married that met there. There's people that like have like fortune 500 companies that met there. Like there's like crazy, beautiful things that happened there. But for me personally, I was like carrying way too much and I burnt out. That was the death of Aloka. Luke Cohen emerged on the other side of that experience. So, oh, I see. So I thought yeah. I thought it was the opposite. I thought you were becoming a loka, but that, that's no. that's a memory. That's a memory of who you used. A loka is a, is an echo of another version of me. So, going back to India, 2007, when I'm having this crisis in college, and I'm like unraveling my young 22 year old ego and all my life identifications with martial arts and sports and getting into yoga and spirituality and like really cooking in that world, I. Uh, the only person I knew that was living that lifestyle was my mom's best friend's daughter who was literally in a Himalayan cave under the tutelage of her guru while I'm having this like whole thing. So when I get to India, I meet up with her. We like go to email each other at the same time. We're sitting back to back in the same internet cafe in like Banarit, like Varanasi. And we're like, what? And you know, we hadn't seen each other in like 12 years or something. Oh, she I brings me to her. I love it when that stuff happens. That's like, yeah, yeah. It took like, a serendipity. You know, that's like, that's the universe, man. <laughs> like, for real, you're following, you're following the breadcrumbs. Something's happening. And then we go and I meet her guru. And that's where I received the name Alokananda. He gave me that name. And so I carried that for 12 years. And everyone just started calling me Aloka for short because Alokananda is quite a long Sanskrit name. It's a little easier to be like Aloka. And so my, my tribe in New York just, started to call me that it stuck and that was like that was like my tribe name was aloka for a while and, and I, it was very deep in like the sacred activism and you know occupy and saying like all these kinds of like activism which has a lot of struggle energy in it and mm-hmm. i think there's potentially more effective ways of creating change on our planet so that's part of what excites me about this space right so just to bring this full circle to now after collective legacy when aloka went into the void and I like kind of burnt out again, <laughs> second version. I went up to Boulder and there was this wild group up there that was doing all this like trauma healing and like doing all this like synarchy and holacracy work and like what, what is surrendered leadership look like and what gets in the way of coherence in a group field, especially when you're running a business or creating a, like a community. And so I started to see that there was an intersection between startups and eco villages, nine out of 10 fail, nine out of 10 fail. Like, what are these factors? And like my curiosity from that original blueprint of like eco-villages of the future, community, decentralization, wealth, all these different, you know, cultural themes. I was in this experiment of like, what is the actual formula that builds coherence and trust and like helps people play? And so we were doing this wild, like these like healing ceremonies without any medicine where people would like be processing some kind of collective distortion or trauma around power dynamics or mm. sexuality or, or wealth. And, and we've been meeting these, like these things and healing them in real time. And so I saw a lot of like what works and what didn't in some of the, like those experiments. And after that, I was like, I was kind of cooked. It got like too enmeshed in, you know, this like experiment wasn't like naturally going anywhere in some ways. Yeah. So I went, I ended up going to Bali and in that time I had entered a, an experiment in non-transactionality. So I wasn't doing anything for work. I let go of my coaching business. I was letting life self-organize and take care of me without trying to effort things. And when I was in that community with Boulder, like things would happen. Like someone would be like, here's $5,000 for no reason for how you showed up in that training and like stay at my mansion and like, just give me like a healing session once a month and just, just kind of like self-organize it. But when I left that ecosystem, my bank account started to go down, 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 down. 
And I'm like, I need to start making money. And like, mm. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to play with capital in the same way. And that ended up manifesting a benefactor who was like, I really believe in the work you're doing. I want to support you to help usher in this like new time. And that's when I started to invest in crypto. And that's when I started to look into like, who am I now? Like, what is my actual Dharma after all this experience? I've really over-efforted. I've been a high achiever. I've been super hyper-vigilant in my spiritual process and like healing journey. Like, what am I here to actually do at this point? And I spent the year almost in like a sabbatical doing nothing, just meditating, feeling I couldn't do anything unless life is authentically moving through me. And I started to be shown this archetype of the bard, you know, so hardest and bard sort of emerged. And a bard is a storyteller. And in ancient times, the bard would go, like would get patroned from like a house, like a wealthy house. And they would like, go across the land and sing a song of our, of our good name, you know? And like, but like people lived in castles and they were like closed off in the world. And so when a bard came, they're like, cool, like news from the outside world. And they would share these stories and songs and people would bring joy, but even deeper, further back with the Druids, a bard would train for 20 years in, in spiritual initiations before they were allowed to give a transmission to the people wow. through sound, poetry, frequency, song, and story to activate the souls of the people. And so that was like, I was like in this kind of like, oh shit, I'm, I'm being transformed into a bard. I'm here for culture. I'm here for all these things. Like this is part of what I need to move forward into the world as, and, and like that identity made sense. And it wasn't like conjured. It just emerged as a truth of my being. And so I've been kind of working with this bard and I realized that I'm becoming like a bard of web three. And like, because of the nuanced culture of the space and all my experience learning about prophecy from indigenous people, like what's happening on our planet, these, these things from the evolution of consciousness to technology. When I was in Bali, I met uh, Faze Navari, who's the CEO of High Vibe Network. He's like super deep in Web3 and DeFi. And then one of my best friends from mine is the, the founder of Veeam, which I'm a part of both teams, but different roles. I'm in the executive team of Veeam. And these are companies that are like innovating high level consciousness and like authentic systems change at like a deep level in the web three space. So I started like geeking out. I remember being on clubhouse in like the board yacht apes room being like, what the heck is this? And like learning about NFTs during the pandemic in Bali and just being like, what is going on? And, but like my best, my best friend, Kevin Oris, who's also a bard, also deep in web three, also on high vibes team and like, like total Dijon, you know, in the space, like, <laughs> like flipping it. You said Dijon. <laughs> yeah. He's a total Dijon. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like I'm not, I'm not, I have different, like we're similar, we're very different. Uh, we both I'm, inform. I'm, I totally agree. Yeah. Like, I'm just want to say real quick, man, you are resonating with me so hard right now. I'm having a hard time <laughs> not talking. So keep going. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. We can, I just want to get it all out. But we can, yeah, yeah. we can dive in. I know it's a lot. So whoever is with us, like, thanks for, you know, sticking with the wild journey. Um, so yeah, so like Bali, that was a time of incubating in nothingness and during the pandemic and starting to like reconnect with some key leaders there and like see this emergent space. And then I got summoned back to the West and moved to Austin from really remind kind of, we're like, yo, we need you. It's time. Like your gifts are needed in the world. Let's go. And I got back and like the space has just been popping up. I got back and all of a sudden I'm like consulting on this web three project with this fine art asset. That's like, I can't, I'm not allowed to talk about it. It's like mind blowing. Like, like, a, like basically a film from like the 1890s. Uh, that's dope. Yeah. <laughs> that's that we so have, cool. that's like one project. And then, 
you know, ended up at Art Basel with them and then down in Puerto Rico for Blockchain Week and then, you know, NFT LA with Veeam. So like, I'm starting to see the momentum in the space. I'm starting to see the years that I've spent are, are for this time. Like, I have gifts for helping teams build coherence. Tech startups need that. You know, the, the decentralized elements of all the surrendered leadership for, for DAOs. You know, there's all these things there. So I'm, I'm really starting to take off in terms of like, my role as an advisor, I'm like an advisor in multiple companies now. I'm really here to help culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm really here to help teams play nice together <laughs> and actually scale their projects without doing why, like the nine out of 10 thing. Let's be the one out of 10. And let's, mm-hmm. and let's, let's create new value systems that are like actually in alignment with, with Earth's legacy and are harmonious for the next seven generations. Like how do we bring these value systems into this wild tech space? So for me... I feel like I'm witnessing the ego condor prophecy. I feel like I'm seeing the potential for human beings to self-organize. I feel like I'm seeing this like whole new renaissance birthing up right in front of me that, you know, a lot of people have fun around, but like, I think is, is the future of how like NFTs are going to be the future of how we do real estate. NFTs are going to be the future of how like I'm so many hip hop heads because that's part of my world. Like I'm, I'm an MC. So like I'm talking to all these people in hip hop that like, especially NFTLA that get it, that are seeing it. Like, Marcy Gray's talking about like on stage and like, you know, like, like so I mean, that whole, stuff. that whole NFT LA event was for content creators, right? It was like for yeah. the uh, entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, and they're, they're starting to catch on, you know, like they're starting to catch on to what's happening and it's, it's still early where we need to like help fortify some of these, like they're, they're just elements. focusing. Yeah. It's like, they're focusing yeah. on the low hanging fruit of it, of yeah. the art and the music. And it's like, Oh, it's deeper than that, bros. So much deeper. <laughs> And it's as deep as we want to go, right? Like that's what's like wild, like being in clubhouse in so many spaces, like you get a tech bro that's like thinking about things in a very different way than like this artist who's never like had the amount of patronage that they've ever had. So like, what does it take to actually create a renaissance on the planet? You need innovation and you need patronage for artists. That's what this space is allowing. NFTs, Web3 is allowing innovation and patronage to support creators. What do creators do? We bring new culture, informs the planet, Boom, you got a renaissance. So that's where we're going. So if you're in if you're in fear, uncertainty, and doubt around what's happening on this planet right now, allow this to be a seed of like the renaissance that's coming. Like you get to participate in, and it actually requires your participation. And so the companies that I'm excited about, and what I'm seeing is like the culture that we get to create is a culture of participation, peer-to-peer, fucking like put skin in the game, play, show up with your gifts, and there's this there's space for everybody to eat, and we can all add value. Start to like heal this planet together. So that's my story. I I love this. I totally appreciate you going through all those details. I didn't. I didn't know. um, First of all, I didn't know that journey that you had, and now I'm. I'm noticing based on your journey in crypto how that comes together so beautifully and it right it's how you, you're like describing this as a renaissance and bards and i love that because it's like i feel like a knight in shining armor in this and this renaissance this like revolution that's happening yeah but yeah you know this whole thing that you just mentioned like this whole journey resonated so hard for me because i feel like i had sort of sort of similar but different um like i i've i feel like i ended up in the same position a little bit where I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm like, I'm the person that's helping bridge that be a world bridger between the two worlds. Um, but what I like about your specific journey is something I don't have is that whole experience of doing that in the real world before Mm -hmm. all of these little systems came into play. Mm -hmm. I only started seeing that 
after I started seeing the systems that are possible after, mm-hmm. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I started seeing the real world imp- applications after learning about I the see, systems. You knew the real world applications that were needed. And then you were like, oh, there's these systems that can just go poof on yeah, top of yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. So I, okay. I just, I, I want to just kind of like go a little bit deeper into that perspective, into this perspective that you have now uh, looking at DAOs, looking at NFTs, how do you see, do you see DAOs as being the, which by the way, if you're listening, you don't know what a DAO is. It's not DAO as in like what, you know, the, not the stock exchange. We're not talking about stocks. And <laughs> we're that, also not talking about the spiritual, uh, Daoism. Daoism yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. it's spelled exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so we're talking about DAOs, D-A-O, which is decentralized autonomous organizations. And, so I want to know just a little bit of that. Uh, wh- what is your perspective on, so it's a, probably a two-part question. What is your perspective on what's currently happening in the world? What you've experienced in 2012, you know, 2010, those years of like creating that in the real world and what these DAOs and NFTs can do for that based on everything that's happening. Yeah. So one other interpretation of DAO is dharmically aligned organism. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. <laughs> Good one. This via yes. Ramayan and Dean. This is a, this is like a little one of our remix reality sort of memetics, right? Um, so this is a deep one. So like, what's happening in the world is you know, as we know, as we we're I believe that we're in an evolution of consciousness, and we're kind of moving towards a crescendo that those that empower do not want humanity to remember that they're co-creators, that they're divine beings, that they're, that they're not separate from nature, that the entropic systems that are really extractive are not working. And that if we put a regenerative or life affirming systems into place, then that wealth redistribution and control is lost by those that don't want to lose that control. Right. Essentially. Now there's a space for them to be integrated and they're not bad. They're not evil. They're just, misinformed let's just say that and there's an opportunity to find a pathway through where you know essentially decentralized power structures um like it's built on the principle of freedom right like true freedom authentic sovereignty and this is something that's very scary to the powers that that were i don't call them powers that be because i believe humanity is the powers that are and we need to shift that that narrative very very quickly right so um what i've seen is that these sort of cultural movements from transformational festivals to Burning Man to like things in tech startup spaces that capitalism has driven a lot of the unconsciousness of humanity around it. And if we trace this back to the wound of colonialism that swept over this planet, like, and literally how we oriented time itself, it's much deeper. So I'm going to give a little piece of story as a bar to create some more context to better answer this question. Right. Got so, it. British Empire colonizes most of the world, right? All these wisdom traditions are like nearly wiped out. All these languages are lost. Generations lose the remembrance of where they come from, their their place, their land. There's place within the village, their place within the universe. And then we're given this like very conditioned model of reality. It's like, let's call it the matrix, whatever you want to call it. Now, Greenwich meantime, in the 12 month calendar, we shifted from an indigenous worldview of time, which was more infinite, less finite, less linear. So we, we got to experience ourselves as less linear beings in that sort of energetic experience of 
this is my place within creation. I, I, ha- I have a direct relationship with these things like the fire, like the stars, like my village, you know, these kinds of things that help us orient to who we are as consciousness, not as this little separate, you know, mini me that's like, you know, doing what it's doing. Right. So that got lost in colonialism quite a bit. Now, time change and a framework of time was imposed on humanity with that. That's why Greenwich Mean Time is in England, right? GMT encompassed the world in this framework of time and then put this calendar. Most indigenous cultures are on a 13-moon calendar. They do it in Bali. They even do in, in some of Israel. Like 13 moons is an original way of keeping time, which is more feminine. That's why they demonize 13. It's a whole story, right? So... 12-month Gregorian calendar, Greenwich Mean Time, we get put into this kind of artificial time out of organic time. Like we're synced with the seasons, we're in sync with consciousness, we're in, harm- we're in harmony with nature and each other in a certain level. Then we're put into this construct of time and then they bound that construct of time to money. That was the big trick. The I, big, love that you're, I love that you're, you're layering this because like it's beautiful. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when that, when that little hook got added into of binding time with money, it put the collective consciousness in a type of survival energy that they can manipulate. Mm. So these systems, these centralized banking systems are manipulating consciousness at a base level. It's our survival. And if we want to ascend, meaning if we want to move through an evolution of consciousness, we actually have to heal survival in our nervous system and play a different game than this capitalistic game that's been, that is, that is the, at the seat of it has colonial colonized consciousness inside of it. So DeFi and crypto can, and blockchain can either liberate humanity or enslave humanity more, depending on whether we address this collective trauma or not. Simply like if we, if we don't look at the, the, the shit, we can't create the new system. We're just going to bring, we're just going to perpetuate the same mindset in a digital way or recreate it in this other way. Right. I agree. Rug tools, all these things that we see going on. There's another version of like same old money paradigm, greed, not enough, extractive, capitalistic, just reimposed. Now the people that are getting that actually want to create, create um, assets and, and coins and things that are actually tied to things that are actually adding value in the world. Those are the projects that were interested. A lot of people are like, that's where like, yo, there's something there because this is actually adding value in a way beyond this like imaginary thing. Because we know that fiat and a lot of these things are imaginary value. It's not tied to gold anymore. It's not tied to, you know, like something that actually has value. We're printing it out of fucking thin air. I, I say like this, like, I've been saying it like this, that money, we've, we've externalized our self-worth and put worth on this external thing, which should be just a representation of our self-worth and not the actual thing that's worth. That part, that part, brother. Yeah, beautiful. And these, all, all these little distortions that live inside of this energy, it's like, it's like the thing that nobody wants to talk about is all the gifts and, and, and shadows that money brings, you know? And like, like what our parents modeled to us and like the scarcity that maybe our dad in, that's why we're like, I'm gonna fucking earn seven figures, motherfucker, because I'm not doing what he did. Right. Or whatever it is. Right. Like, do we are, do we actually address these things in ourselves or not? So those are the things that like in new systems and systems change and like DeFi and DAOs, all these things. It's like, I love this book, Muster Fuller quote that says, you know, we cannot change our current systems if we do it from the same mindset of the problems that created them. Mm-hmm. So we have to innovate. We literally have to innovate new systems. And it's very emergent, meaning like we're discovering it as we go along. So I don't actually fully trust anyone that says that they figured it out. 
or, you know, thinks that like crypto is the one size fits all answer to all this. It's a piece of the puzzle. But if we don't address the cultural and traumatic and consciousness elements that weave into it, we cannot create actual system change on this planet. So we have to get to the core energetic, the core systemic issue of colonialism and trauma and all these things that like actually drive our freaking markets in this extractive kind of war machine, propaganda machine, and actually get to the heart of what's actually going on and use it for good, right? Like Mm -hmm. human beings, a lot of human beings don't know how to play together. Like they literally like, great, you need centralized things right now. You're in freaking training wheels until you're ready to play nice. Like whatever, like government does what it does because people aren't ready to actually self-govern yet. Mm -hmm. Until we know how to and are, those systems will naturally not be needed in the way that they've been. And, and most people don't understand how corrupt they actually are. They don't understand the extraction. They don't understand. They don't see the like bombs being dropped on people that like pay for this thing, that pay for this thing that's tied to this like figurehead who's like, I'm perfect and you'll, I'm your daddy and you're projecting your childhood wounding on me. And like, I'm this authority that you're giving all your power away to. Like, that's actually making that war possible that you're not looking at, right? Like, until we can put these little dots together, we can't actually come into a relationship with what crypto actually is. And all the FUD being spread around it, like blockchain is bad. And like, you know, Bitcoin is just a big, you know, scam. And like, yet all these VCs that have been talking all this stuff about it, you know, you can literally see that like tweets change from like 2017 to 2020. I'm like, yeah, actually, we're, we're suggesting all our stakeholders put 4% of their assets into crypto. It's like, oh, I was, I was there when Jamie Dimon said it, said a tweet that it was going to go to zero and then it went, it went down. And then the, yeah. literally within 24 hours is like, uh, I think I was wrong. Actually, it's going to be good. And then, it, and then it started going back up and it's like, Oh, he just, he just fudded and then bought the dip. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. You got the whales that manipulate the market. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, this is why we need a culture of participation. Mm. We start with that whole Reddit thing with, uh, with GameStop, you know, during the pandemic, right? Like when the power of people can self-organize, they, they have enough power like a whale. So if we're actually in a, in a true decentralized autonomous organism, I like organism better because we want, we want to become biomimicrous to how neurons cluster, how neurons fire, how things self-organize in nature and actually use that principle and these deeper values and spiritualized to inform our technology, then we can actually disrupt at the level that's that's necessary. All right. I, I, so I want to go just really quick into that. Okay. So what does that look like for you? Because for me, I see it, how I've, how I've viewed it, everything you described, this is how I've seen it, how I see it in my mind is that we've normalized in these centralized system. We've normalized the, the power, the flow of this energy, which is money up. So we have the pyramid yep. shape, right? We have the yep. money flow up and then out. And I even yep. looked at, I even did a little research into pyramids and I saw that, yep. which like totally aligns with everything, uh, that there's more, there's like a, a more potent power source at the base of the pyramid than there is at the top. There's so, an equal, there's an equal centrifugal energy. That's another pyramid that, that points down. It's actually oh, points down. It's like, it's like Ethereum. You know, oh, like oh there you go. Right, right, right. So, yeah. so, so, you know, the issue is, what is the issue here? Is that the, the flow is going to one point, right? It's yes. going to a structure that there's a few at the top that now are going to get that energy. And, yep. and because of the structures, the ones at the tip, they, they don't feel as potent an energy. So they need everybody to be doing it or else they literally yep. don't get that, that, yep. that, that feeding. 
Yep. So I'm, I'm looking at it as like, we need to shift that flow of energy from going up sure. and out to cool. in and in circular. Toroidal. So, toroidal, yes. I do, it, I do it this way. Oh, I'm doing oh. it this way. I'm doing the same, same fucking shape. But, but, but exactly, right? Exactly. Like yeah. flowing, flowing the energy back yeah. in to where it becomes yeah. a self-sustaining system to where yeah. it even is to what you're describing, which is an organism. And I've even, I've told people this, like, think of these DAOs as like a living organism that like, okay, this is going to work here. Oh, it's not working anymore. Go over here now. Go. And, then, and it's just kind yeah. of just like organically moving around based on the supply and demand of the people based on, you know, what's happening in the markets. Um, but I want to know your perspective. So how do you see these DAOs, NFTs working and practically working to compound on the real life stuff and not just be escapism. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, that toroidal model is like, is a really, I, I like, I love that you're tracking that and seeing that. And that's kind of how I looked at it. For example, like with an eco village, if you're valuing food and that you can grow and eat your own food, if you're wanting a good source of water, if you're needing structures, if you if your culture is valuing connection, we don't need as much as we think that we need in our current model. So, like in a situation like that where your your, your needs are being met, everything that's made in excess gets put back in to maintain it, right? So you're starting to create that that toroidal energy, right? Because basic it starts with basic needs, right? Food, water, shelter, connection. These these four like foundational things, right? So. Until we can track that as a basic need that that is like actually being addressed, DAOs won't function at their highest expression. They will not become toroidal. Some of them will turn into pyramids with like, you know, oh, it's already happening. I've yeah. I've seen a lot of that already happening. Totally. Like these, it is happening. Yeah. The ones that will succeed into this new paradigm are the ones that have mastered a certain level of commanding their attention and resolving the survival consciousness and having basic needs set. And value metric that is built in real life systems. Like if you value connection, you value nature, you value food, these types of things, then you can put your resources into something that doesn't depend on capital in the same way anymore. That's kind of how I see it as a bridge. So it's, and this is very, this is just one concept to look mm -hmm. at. It's a, you know, there's broader implications with, with what you're asking, like what are the actual applications and what, how do those translate? And I can go into that, but I think it's important to name that distinction because the culture that we have is driven by our values, which dictates our behaviors. So until we have a new cultural narrative and, and collective cultural framework, the DAOs will repeat the cultural framework of the material capitalistic colonized world in a more sophisticated way. So, so, so my, so my thoughts, so is, here's my other question then to compound on that, because I've been saying recently that I believe true decentralization is going to start at the local level and not necessarily at the global, all these global projects that are trying to launch on a global level, it's just attracting the evil. You know, you're opening the door for them to come in and, you know, they're calling them APY vampires now, or, you know, these, these people that have a lot of money and they come into the Dow and then they just start sucking, yeah. sucking yeah. the value out of that ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? And is there a solution, you know, to create a barrier of entry that is not just, you have a lot of money? Yeah. So the, the DAOs that choose to receive funding from that, from investors or VC types that hook in and try to control, they're still an old power dynamic. So you can't put people like that on a pedestal. They have to be an equal player in the circle 
right? So DAOs that function will function function as councils. Mm. They they have to function where there's fractionalized voting and and governance systems and conflict management systems that allow people to be in actual relationship with each other. In the hierarchical systems of of corporate corporatocracy and VCs and investment, that power over dynamic creates a dysfunction in power structure. So you have to level the playing field out because if I'm a boss, I'm a CEO, or I'm an investor, and I don't like you, or there's something that you mirror to me and trigger me, I can just fire you. There's no culture of intimacy. There's no meeting the conflict. There's no self-responsibility in that. So the, the it's a cultural ethos of like, what does it actually mean to come into connection as human beings and work through our shit together and grow together and have a quality of intimacy together and still play at a business level that there's accountability and there's responsibility and, there, and there's consequence if you don't show up. So mm. what I've experienced with some of these players that, that I've been a part of seeing brought in is the ones that are willing to do the work are welcomed in. And then they become, they come into a relationship, which is actually what they need too, is to be treated as a human being and have a human relationship and be in connection, not just seen as an object that's, that, that's commodified. And then people make these subtle agreements of like, yeah, we'll take your money and like, you know, we'll give up, but we'll suddenly give our power away to you. And then, and then we'll resent you when you want to like, no, it's like all this invisible stuff. These are all the, all the unresolved sort of like emotional traumatic dynamics that are just playing out in society. Again, just repeated in this like small little family constellation. Right. So it's the deep work that we do in relationship. That's going to create the DAOs that actually function. And I love that you said that. Cause I was like, I was kind of fishing for that. And I'm so glad you said it, which was sweat equity. That's, you yes. know, I've been, I've been saying that over and over. I think that the, if we create a barrier of entry where it's sweat equity and not just money, like it has yes. to be both. Yeah. Um, that's it. Game. that's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. Cause then you got to put in, you got to put in your physical body, your physical, physicalness, your energy yeah. into it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's, and that's the, the risk reward that we get to innovate in the space. Like if, if, you know, like there's never a guarantee with, with anything in life, like, sorry guys, like this is how impermanent work impermanence works. Like good luck trying to like control reality and control life. Like really good luck. So like, whether it's a marriage or it's like a da da da, like there's like that's what a lot of society tries to do. It tries to mitigate risks into like an appropriate way that lives within that world. But in the emergent world, that's more aligned with nature. Like there's a certain degree of chaos, and there's a certain and that's like divine feminine power. Like you can't, you have to respect chaos and work with it. If you try to like put this like imaginary dome around chaos and pretend it's not there, eventually that dome cracks and just sucks everything out from underneath you, and you're not prepared for that. So if we don't acknowledge impermanence and have a real relationship with that thing, then then again, these systems are just fleeting house of cards on top of on top of like a non-existent foundation of illusion. Right? We have to really like be honest about what's going on at systemic core energetic level and address that so that the systems that we build are built in in structural integrity. Oh cool, like bamboo bends and doesn't break like what do we do with a hurricane or a tornado? Like, and we, if we're not thinking about there and just like, like a permaculturist, when they go onto the land, they observe the land for a year before they build anything. Mm. People in some of the tech space have their ideas and they come into a space and they'll just put their idea and overlay it on top of reality, smack their idea down. And there's no listening to life. There's no listening to the feminine intelligence of like the land being like, actually, you need to raise the beds over here or you're going to flood and you're not, your crop's not going to grow. That takes a year of observation. So how are we doing that in the DAO space? How are we doing that in the crypto space of actually observing trends and, and you know, 
being patient enough because you're not in this urgency that's coming from scarcity or the need to be positioned in the world through some social hierarchical distortion, but actually getting in alignment with the current of life enough to innovate a system that's actually being guided from life itself, not from some freaking idea and not some from some like mental construct that you're trying to overlay onto reality, but like being with reality as it is. That's the hard part. That's what we're all learning how to do. That's what we have to go through this process of stripping away and like coming into relationship and actually learning each other's stories, who we are, what our gifts, what our challenges are, and how to freaking relate and play together. That's the best of future of doubts. I, I, I love this conversation. I mean, and I agree with you. I think the future of <laughs> is that's going to be like skills. Like, what can you do? Yeah. Can you build a product? Can you do something? Yeah. Um, can you add actual tangible value and not a, not a <laughs> construct of one? Like, really, what's your, like, what's your skin in the game? Like, for example, with Veeam, before I came into the executive team, I was willing to put all my creative IP in, into the ecosystem and be like, my album's going to go out through this. I'll, I'm going to put skin in the game, you know? And so, um, yeah. No, I, like, I love, I love that. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I just want to compound on something you said a little earlier just now. Um, you said that we have to be okay with chaos, man. I want to flip that script. I want to say that we got to, we got to, we got to understand that the current system we're in is chaos and we're actually got to normalize the order of nature. <laughs> like that is in order. That's what's really in order. That's what's really in, in organized, organized fashion yes. is nature is the chaos of nature. Um, but it's funny, you know, Jor Jordan Peterson, I don't know if you know who that is. Love, Jordan, love Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. just love. genius, genius, yeah. just thought perspective. Um, Kevin's a little bit more into him than I am, but I, I have appreciated what he's shown me of him that resonates yeah. and he's gotten into crypto recently. So he's, he was actually at BTC Miami and he had a, a oh, talk. Fun. He had a talk that he just did. And he actually mentions what you just said, which is you have all these, these, these people that are in, in, uh, you know, in politics right now that are just trying to in, put their own systems into place without observing the current systems. And it's like, why are we creating new systems without like taking into account what's actually happening in real time. <laughs> quote, quote on my whiteboard right here. Persistence without insight will lead to the same outcome. I mean, that's, that's basically, <laughs> if you don't know your history, you're going to, you're going to repeat it. <laughs> yep. And we're already doing that. Exactly. So yes, I agree. I love, I love your remix of chaos. And I, I agree that that nature has a divine order to it. Like there's, there's fractal geometries and ferns. There's, there's these patterns that if we recognize the patterns in their benevolent version and we align with it, that's, these are the kind of structures we get to create. Like the eco villages that I love, like some of the, some of the, some of the, like the, the, the buildings, the structures are, are biomimicrous. They're synchronized, they're synchronized with the ecosystem. So you can grow food on the outside of your house. You can, you know, like earth ships, things like that, like things that are actually designed to be symbiotic. But we have to heal our relationship with nature and understand our place within nature as nature if we're going to create technologies and systems that are like synchronized with it. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole other agenda to move us into this technocratic, you know, transhumanism. Transhumanism, yeah. uh, escapism. Yep. Yeah. Like, let me check out inside the metaverse and not be disconnected from my body and like even more just and like that's a real agenda. And I'm sorry for anyone else that there's like, you know, this is something we need to pay attention to. This is an actual threat for the future of the human race. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand like the agendas that this space brings, the tech space, the psychedelic space, the transhumanist agenda is like one of the top things that you should be paying attention to because there's mimetics 
and there's there's like a potential like the matrix right mm-hmm. let's just talk about the matrix terminator written by a black woman sonia sophia as one story got hijacked by warner brothers and wachowski's made into two separate franchises but it's all one story it's actually all one story and that's something that she pulled Wait, out what's the what's the two what's the two franchises terminator and the matrix shut your mouth yeah. <laughs> i did not know that and i did not know that there was one person that wrote both that blows my mind i need to yeah. research this person now. sophia so uh so did i see sonia that's someone else Sorry. sophia the mother of the major you check her out she's who the oracle is based on in the movie she's the one that actually like her character her energy right. is the woman that channeled this whole story she pulled it out of the akashic records which is a record of all potential timelines that have ever existed for earth like every potential outcome that's why the architect goes into this is the ninth the ninth time that we blah 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 you know it's like there's potential outcomes this is that we can go into so there's a track that runs us into an organic timeline that's a renaissance that's like biomimicrous technology it's aligned with the principles of nature where we heal the colonized wound we come back into connection and relationship as as fundamentally human beings sharing one village and one planet or we go down a track where you know, we're jacked into this thing and we're being harvested for our attention. You know, the matrix already exists. It's just, it's just not physical in the way that we think it is. It's etheric. It like hooks into our fear centers. It drives us towards this particular timeline. And so if, if beings don't pay attention to that, if they're not paying attention to what they're doing with their attention, where they're investing their attention, their current C, what they're looking at, what they're seeing, where they're flowing their energy, Right that's one of the potential outcomes for humanity. Now, not everyone's going to choose that. I'm, that's not the timeline I'm, I'm, I'm opting in for. But if we don't pay attention to those narratives because they're signs, they're like, these are core mythos to like inform our decisions. These are the, these are the stories that that's like one of the only narratives that we have context for with like this time of AI and, mm. you know, everything that's happening. It's like the matrix is like, our like our generation's core mythos to have an orientation to what was actually like a potential for us. Oh, I call it. It's a documentary. It's a, it's, yeah. a documentary. <laughs> it's literally a documentary. I love that. Everything that's happening. I always yeah. tell people, I was like, you want to know what's happening in this reality? Watch the matrix today. Yeah. You watch know? the trend. Watch the animatrix, which fills in the gaps. Right. Right. If you haven't seen the animatrix, watch that fills in the gaps. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I didn't hear what you said. Animatrix. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did watch that. Somebody mentioned yeah. that to me and they're like, oh, you definitely got to yeah. watch that. Yeah. You're right. Yes. It fills in the gaps. There's like the pre, the prequel. There's like these little subtle narratives that like kind of weave the deeper mythos together. It's very, there's dope, like the top animators of the time, it's seven or nine short films that like go deeper into the story. Yeah. yeah, man, dude, this conversation, I, I can see that there's so much more because like you started talking about um, just the metaphysical stuff and I'm like, oh, he knows this stuff too. We got to talk. We can get multidimensional for sure. We you have to. I mean, especially with like crypto, you have to know that stuff because like there, there it's, it's almost like we're a crypto is like a represent is like a physical representation of all that, of like reality. And it's like us trying to figure out what all this is and trying to just, Oh, this, this works. And it's like, yeah, that's nature. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. I have, a, I have a buddy I'm working with, uh, with my web through consulting, who's a, who's a neurologist and he's, he's like, has a whole thesis on Dow's or like, organizing like neurons cluster like this whole this whole again this biomimicrous representation of like 
we're an echo of nature. And so we like consciousness wants to replicate itself. So what's emerging in the space again, can, can, can de-evolve into this hijacked attention, be steered by centralized power and dark sorcery. And, you know, or we like actually fully align again with organic time and go through the evolutionary process of healing our trauma, which awakens these centers in our nervous system and our multidimensionality and allow that energy to be the driver behind our technology, to be the thing that's informing what we're actually doing, as opposed to this overlay and construct that we've been like programmed with. Oh, love it. I love your perspective. I love what you're doing. I love like what you're talking about and how you're talking about it. Normalizing this conversation to me is super important nowadays so that we can get, uh, so we can, we can be aware to let go because that's the yeah. only way you can't, we can, we're not going to be able to incorporate these new systems and we can't let go of this old one. Yeah. Um, so, and, and to know that's a bridge, it's going to be a bridge for some people. Like I really respect, like I have friends in business that have companies that are like super deep in game A, like they're, they're like, you know, like it's traditional, but I know that what they're going to do with their money and what they're going to invest in into the new to take us from game A to game B, like, we're in that evolutionary journey of moving from game A to game B. It's, it's a process. What we did at Collective Legacy, that event, I said, we put one hand on our heart and said, I'm committed. The other hand says, I'm in discovery. And if we can be honest about that, like, really? Like, great. Like, then, then we're like... That's we it. We're all on the same page. Conversation from that space. You know? <laughs> like, because just those, if you're like, if you fall into the... Or if you allow yourself to be those two then it doesn't yeah. matter if we agree or disagree because <laughs> we're just, we're just figuring it out. <laughs> we are figuring it out. And the ones that like, there are people that have their code. Like I have my piece. I have my little piece in this larger unfolding, amazing adventure we're on. There's a piece that I have. There's a piece you have. Again, it's, it's a Renaissance ask for the participation of our gifts. And if we withhold those gifts and we don't actually show up and give them, then we're going to be on the sidelines criticizing everything. Those are the people with some of the biggest fun are like, they're just on the sideline, like not actually participating in life. You know what I mean? So if everyone brings their gift, then we can create a renaissance. We can add value. So I'll, I'll end with this as a quote from Jose Aguilaris that we're moving from time is money to time is art. Mm. Because if we're having an experience of our own divinity and we're going through this awakening, then the world that we want to make wants to mirror our divinity back to us. Mm. So what we're seeing is the old world, which is a mirror to something that is, is, is unresolved trauma. It's the mirror to centralized power. It's the mirror to these certain things. The world, the more beautiful world that we know is possible is a mirror to humanity reclaiming itself, reclaiming its divinities. Naturally, we want to make it more beautiful. Naturally, art is going to have more value in a world like that. NFTs, you know, things that like can carry a, a, a story that informs consciousness to blossom. Like these are the things that we're going to value in this Renaissance. Love it. Love it. Um, so last piece, I like, I like to leave the last word with, with the interviewee. If you had one thing to say that you're in front of a million people and you had one thing to leave them with one sentence, a few words, what would that be? Hmm. Until we're willing to take full responsibility for the pain that was passed on to us and discover authentic self-love, we cannot fully love each other. And if we can't fully love each other, then we can't play at the level that we actually want on this planet. 
I love that you said play because that's I, that's at the end of the day, man. That's what it's all about. Just coming Bunch back to our child. We all got, I know. We got a child inside of us. Man. Every single human being has got a little little boy and little girl inside that actually just wants to connect and play. And like until we do that work, they can't express the level that we actually deserve to experience as beings. You know, like we get to play, and as we play, we get to heal the earth together. Like that's. Sign me up for that timeline. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you, Luke. I yeah. certainly appreciate it. Uh, and everybody yeah. watching, you just got blessed by some deep discernment and knowledge. Uh, and always remember, gamify your abundance. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is Luke Cohen. He has really gone through a journey, a journey of self-discovery and, you know, willingness and submission to life and, you know, going through the struggles and the hardships to be able to come out the other side to now. I mean, you know, as we were discussing crypto and talking and going deep into it, I realized that he is in, he resonates with my perspective, or at least I feel like that. Um, like his mindset is definitely on the bigger picture, looking at how crypto can, change the paradigm, like actually make change instead of just the low hanging fruit of NFTs and art and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, Luke, Luke, you, 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 my man are on the cool track, the cool track, the, the known track. And so I appreciate you and I appreciate everything that you're doing for this world. Uh, keep it going, brother. It's really, uh, making a difference. So if you do want to go deeper into the crypto conversation and just, discover it for yourself and see what it means for you. You know, every individual has a passion, in my opinion. It's just a matter of seeing the opportunities enough to be able to, to you know, pursue that passion or support yourself towards that passion. And it's the first time in my life that I believe crypto to be the, the tool, the resource that we, we needed, that we have been striving for or, or really fighting for is finally here for us to be able to use and really step into those, that path of pursuing the things that bring us most joy and, you know, bring us the most passion in our lives. So, uh, Luke is a great, just a great example of that and, and really allowing himself to pursue those goals. So if you really want to dive deeper and find what that means for you, uh, check out my course, uh, I do have an eight-hour, seven or seven and a half hour, twenty-two plus video course that goes into it deep. I mean, you go through through every layer from zero to a hundred uh, on the many layers of of the blockchain. Uh, it really goes into what your current system is, as well as it dives into the mindset and your relationship to money and what that looks like for you. Because at the end of the day, if you're not looking at how you react to your environment, all you're doing is looking at everybody else. So it's really a time for us to shift perspective, be aware of how we are reacting to then really step into our, our true power of decision-making, discernment, and you know bodily autonomy and sovereignty. So uh, with that said, always remember to gamify your abundance.